As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am your host, Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Athletic. Coming at you for another week, we made it. We made it, folks. We got to the end of this regular season. I don't think a lot of people, myself included, thought that we'd get to this point having played this many games and having crowned a champion in the ACC in a legitimate way the way that the conference did. So I think there's some kudos that goes out to all the players and coaches and everybody behind the scenes who actually made that happen. Uh, I'm glad we got this far. A lot of teams in the ACC have opted out of bowls, and I cannot fault them at all for that. This has been a long, trying season. Uh, I don't know if the reward of getting to the Military Bowl or uh, the Sun Bowl or something like that was going to be something they wanted to continue this whole process for for a couple weeks. So... Those teams have opted out. Nothing against that. There are some teams that are going to play. Obviously, Clemson making the uh, national semifinals again as a two-seed. We're going to talk to Grace Rayner today, their Clemson beat writer, about that. Uh, her fifth time on the show, uh, the first person on the show in the five-timers club. Grace will offer us some perspective on Clemson. Talk about this uh, semifinal rematch from last year against Ohio State, a pretty good team there. Uh Hit Dabo Swinney had uh, Ohio State 11th on his poll. We'll get Grace's thoughts on that. We'll talk a little bit about the playoff at large as well, and if having these same four or five teams that are in the four-team playoff is good for college football, whether we need to expand this thing or not. A little bit of all ACC talk at the end, and we'll ask Grace about uh, Brent Venables and Tony Elliott as well and their head coaching prospects. Uh, An interesting report earlier today that kind of got debunked a little bit later. It sounds like that whole thing had the shelf life of about uh, five minutes with Brent Venables in Auburn, Uh, but we'll talk to Grace about that. But it's not only going to be Clemson. We're also going to talk about the other ACC teams in bowl games at the end of this thing. Uh, Notre Dame, honorary ACC member this year against Clemson in the national semifinal. UNC against Texas A&M in the Orange Bowl, Miami playing Oklahoma State in the awesomely named Cheez-It Bowl, 
NC State against Kentucky in the Gator Bowl and Wake Forest against Wisconsin in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I almost called that the Belk Bowl. They've switched the sponsor this year. It's the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So we'll hit all those after we talk to Grace. Okay, joining us now is Grace Rayner, our Clemson beat writer. She has joined an exclusive club on the podcast five times. Fifth time she is a guest on the podcast. She beats Matt Fortuna to that magic number. You're the first member of the Five Timers Club, Grace. Congratulations and welcome back to the podcast. Wow, I didn't know I, I didn't know I beat Fortuna. I would uh, I don't know that I would have bet on me on that one. So that's awesome. Thanks for having me. I think you need to go into Slack and rub it in his face that uh, you beat him to this uh, this magic mark here. Obviously, we're here to talk about Clemson winning yet another ACC championship. Six straight, uh, beat Notre Dame 34-10 to in Charlotte on Saturday. Uh, I mean, six straight is just unbelievable. You look at that. I mean, that's what Bobby Bowden was doing when he had Florida State at its peak. And the ACC was just a bunch of also-rans in the 1990s. I guess you can kind of say that's what the case is uh, for the ACC right now. I think, you know, we kind of joked during the year that Notre Dame is an honorary Coastal Division team. And it certainly looked the part in this game, getting <laughs> beat, blown out in the ACC championship game. Uh, coming out of that game, 34-10, to 10, what was the most impressive part of Clemson's win to you? I think it was just the margin by by which they did it. You know, obviously this was a team they lost to earlier, and we knew that Clemson was going to be a different team in round two. We knew, obviously, they were getting Trevor Lawrence back and a good chunk of their defense back with uh, James Skowski, Tyler Davis, Mike Jones Jr. Um, but still, I mean, Notre Dame is a really good team. They're they're in the playoff right now. And so when, when the line came out, I think we all made a lot of the fact that Clemson was a 10.5-point favorite and would it be this close and then – uh, you know, Trevor throws that first interception in Clemson's first drive, and you kind of wonder, okay, what's happening here? And then they just, you know, beat the brakes off of them and, and win by 24 points. And it feels like just another regular season victory for Clemson, uh, even though it was against one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I think we all kind of expected Trevor Lawrence to have a great game. If there was maybe any question, I know they got a bunch of those defensive players back, but. Notre Dame just could do nothing on offense. I mean, 263 yards, 44 rushing. It sort of kind of flipped the script of what the first game was when Clemson couldn't rush the ball uh, at all, although in this one the Irish couldn't really throw the ball either. Uh, what was what did they do defensively to just really shut Notre Dame down in all facets? Yeah, I thought the most remarkable thing that Clemson did was Notre Dame's offense started 2 of 2 on third down and finished 3 of 12. And so Venables is just, um, he's just kind of a mad scientist. But I thought that as soon as Skowski came in on the first third down that Notre Dame couldn't convert and sacked Ian Book uh, for a loss of five yards, I felt like that the tone was set at that point. And then Clemson just, uh, they just swarmed Book all night. They couldn't contain him the first time he ran for 67 yards, I believe, in the first game and just created and extended. Um, and here you look up round two, Clemson sacked him six times, just got pressure on him all night and just figured out, okay, we, we can't let this guy beat us with his legs. Um, and then obviously they shut down the rushing game, as you were saying. Kyron Williams last time rushed for, I believe, 140 yards. And then this time Notre Dame's entire team rushes for 44 
I mean, Kyron Williams had more rushing yards on one play yes, <laughs> the last time yes. that they did, like right off the bat. I mean, that was such yeah. a tone setter in that first game. It just nothing in this guy. I mean, 44 yards rushing, that's, uh, that's elite level defense. Yeah, I mean, that first run he popped open in, on, in the first game in November, I think it was a 65-yard touchdown run, and it was in the first 33 seconds of the game. So, yeah, you look at that and you compare. When you say it out loud, it really is kind of mesmerizing to – understand that these are these are still the two the same two teams and, and and look what the difference made i think we came out of the first matchup between these two teams and everybody's like well clemson doesn't really lose that much without trevor lawrence on the field you know you look at what dj uyangalale did in that first game thrown for 430 something like that i forget the exact final number he had 439 yeah think. and people go well he's just as good i mean look at how awesome he was in the stats that he put up trevor lawrence is much much better still uh i mean he's he throws for 322 two touchdowns 90 rushing and a touchdown in this game uh I I think this is just a completely different team when he is the quarterback. I mean, he's the best player in the country. He's going to go number one, and it's hilarious to watch Jets fans like <laughs> lose their minds over this. That was know, pretty funny. Not tanking correctly and winning this game. <laughs> like they fired Greg Williams a couple of weeks ago, and he was what they needed in that moment. They needed that defensive coordinator to come in and call the the zero coverage and give up the long touchdown again, like they did against the Raiders. But. Uh, I'm getting off track here, but Trevor Lawrence is, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence is outstanding. Uh, I mean, I feel like we still underappreciate just how good this guy is. I think we do underappreciate him, and I think a lot of it is because Trevor seems to inadvertently get punished for Clemson's dominance. Because Clemson, I think, heading into Saturday, they were winning their games this season by an average of I believe it was 31 and a half points. And so we just don't see Trevor in the fourth quarter. It's just not something that happens. And so then you look at him and you evaluate him statistically. And of course, his numbers aren't going to pop off the page like a quarterback who's playing in a fourth quarter every single week. Um, and so, and then I think people also have had questions about the ACC and, and Trevor's level of competition over the years and all that kind of stuff. But it is, um, it, it was, I thought, extremely telling after the Notre Dame game when Dabo Sweeney got to his post-game press conference and had said, it is super weird to me that I even have to campaign for this guy, for the Heisman. Like, no disrespect, but he's so obviously the best player in the country. And it was just this weird thing about Dabo feeling like he still has to campaign for Trevor Lawrence. You are a Heisman voter. I am a Heisman voter. Uh, we cannot reveal our, our picks right now under pen penalty of catapult. Like, they're very serious <laughs> about this <laughs> at the Heisman catapult. Trust. They do not want people to give away <laughs> their picks ahead of time. I'll say this year, it was very tough to pick it just because I feel like there were a lot of guys in there. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that Trevor Lawrence was on my ballot somewhere uh and i read this argument and it it was very convincing ahead of time where i go do we even have a season if it weren't for trevor lawrence before the year you needed that star player standing up and saying i want to play this year and i think that got a lot of the other people on board uh, looking back at his impact on this season uh do, do we overrate that a bit or under not overrate do we overlook <laughs> that a bit uh going back and saying you know, we might not have had a season if somebody like that doesn't step up. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is it just feels like that just feels like it was 400 years ago. And yeah. so I, I think we're we just kind of lost all sense of time at this point. But you're right. I mean, if you look at the um, 
I was having this conversation with someone the other day. If you and, and I think David Hale on um, Twitter made a good point about this. If you look at the wording of the Heisman, it's what does it say? The most outstanding player who carries himself with integrity or something. There's something about the word integrity, and so it said like to me that means okay, we're we're looking beyond just here are his numbers. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the we want to play movement has the legs that it ultimately got if someone like Trevor Lawrence isn't the face of it and if he's not backing it and if he's not extremely uh, involved in organizing. And, you know, he I remember him telling us a few months ago he's calling players from all over conferences and talking to Justin Fields at Ohio State. I mean, I think that um, – I don't know what would have happened, but I think that we all can agree that we want to play movement was a significant, um, a significant part in, in the 2020 season. And Trevor was a significant part of that movement. If nothing else, you just have to vote for him for that hair, that <laughs> gorgeous flowing hair. I haven't gotten a haircut in the pandemic in like 11 months. I'm not looking like Trevor Lawrence right now. I'll say that much. Uh, so I'm a bit jealous of his uh, quaff there. Of his flow. Yeah. Uh, looking ahead. Clemson gets Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I guess that yes. was kind of a surprise. Uh, we, what was the explanation there? I, I didn't listen to the whole show the other day. Uh, a lot of uh, screaming preschoolers around me uh, at mm, the house. Uh, what, what was the explanation about uh, putting Alabama in the not Rose Bowl and Clemson and Ohio State in the Sugar? I think it's actually, okay, I have a confession to make. As soon as Clemson and Ohio State came out at two and three, I also muted it so I could go back to work. And then all of a sudden I get all these texts being like, you're going to New Orleans. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I also thought that I would be going to the not Rose Bowl in uh, Dallas. So I think, and you can correct me on this, or maybe John, our producer, can. I think it had something to do with the fans situation and that AT&T Stadium was going to allow more fans. And I think that's what Alabama was drawn to. But I am not 100% sure on that. Okay. Money always rules in these situations. They <laughs> Follow got, the money. Yes. It makes sense, especially in a year where they're going to be limited probably with their attendance. They'll probably try to get as many as they can in there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This matchup is interesting. This is a game that uh, was played last year in a semifinal, and it was a rare, really good national semifinal. Usually we get blowouts in those games. Uh, this one, Clemson won it 29-23, came back from a 16 nothing deficit. It looked like they were dead in the water, and I, I believe Lawrence had that long touchdown run that kind of got them going mm-hmm. uh, in that game. What do you think of this matchup coming back? You've got Ohio State that does not exactly look convincing this year in winning some of these games. Did not blow out Northwestern in that championship game. Uh, Justin Fields, he's he's been good. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been, like, elite. He's thrown five picks in, in the two games against Northwestern Indiana. Hurt his thumb, it looked like, uh, the other week. Uh, I, I know we have Ohio State in this thing every single year. Does it still feel like Ohio State is maybe not quite clicking or hitting on all cylinders since they've just played so few games? Yeah, that's what I think is so tricky about this matchup. And I was talking about this with our Ohio State writer, Bill Landis, just 
how do you evaluate this team? Because the sample size is so small. And, you know, I look back at, at Clemson and there's no way Clemson was playing its best football six games into the season, nor should they have been, you know? Um, like, I just, I feel like it's a lot easier to evaluate Clemson right now than it is Ohio State. And, and Dabo Sweeney, I think he even said on uh, Packer and Durham earlier this week that, well, the film study is a lot easier. You know, usually they're pouring over 13 games at this point. This this time they have six. Um, so I don't know. I think this obviously this game's going to give us a lot of clarity. And I think Ohio State is, is still one of the best four teams in the country, even though I know there's there's been a lot of arguments against that. Um, but this does feel like one way or another we're going to get some clarity because six, six games to me just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like enough to say with any sort of certainty this is who the Buckeyes are right now. Clemson, a seven and a half point favorite on this in this game. Um, if you go back to last year's game, what gave Clemson the most trouble against that Ohio State team? I know it's a different team, but uh, I feel like overall the programs are pretty similar year to year. Yeah, I mean, well, they got down early, sixteen to zero, um, and I think we were all at that point. <laughs> getting ready to send Ohio State into the national championship. But the biggest thing that stood out, I think, from that game, and this was something Trevor spoke about afterwards, was it was just by far the most physical game they had ever seen. And that Clemson's offense hadn't seen a defense that had a Chase Young on it. You know, they, they hadn't seen a team that was going to challenge them in every area like this one. Um, but I remember when Trevor got knocked out early, which I'm sure you remember, I mean, he was just lying on the ground for several seconds and we're all thinking what's going to happen here and so I think it just more than anything they they met their match in someone who could actually hang with them and and someone who could actually give them a taste of their own medicine well no Chase Young to worry about this year so that's probably nice for them I I don't think that Ohio State defense quite as good this time around Uh, they're a tough team to rank they're a tough team to put in there such a small sample size of what their season was just six games uh, I'll tell you somebody who does not rank them very high, <laughs> Dabo Sweeney. Uh, yes. He has Ohio State 11th on his coach's poll. These are the teams that were ahead of him. You, you obviously have the uh, three other playoff teams here, Alabama, Clemson, and uh, Notre Dame. Fourth, Texas A&M. Fifth, Florida. Sixth, Georgia. Uh, Dabo, lots of respect for the SEC, it appears. Uh, seven, Cincinnati. Eight, Oklahoma. Nine, Iowa State. Ten, Coastal Carolina. Ahead of Ohio State. Um, even if he believes this, and it's possible he believes this. Dabo says he does the ballot himself, right? He doesn't leave it to an SID to do it. Uh, even if he believes this, is this a smart thing to do, knowing <laughs> that this was probably going to be your matchup? I think everybody saw this matchup coming. Uh, I think if you're a head coach, you go, I don't want to give these guys any bulletin board material whatsoever, and he's just giving it to them on a silver platter. That's where I think maybe Dabo has to be playing 4D chess with us because Dabo knows exactly what he's doing. There's no way that he was going to be surprised that Ohio State was their matchup. There was no way he was going to be surprised this ballot got out. You know, like he's 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 so he's not new to this. And so that's where I think maybe he just genuinely believes this and just doesn't really care what the what the rest of us think. I mean, he's been saying for several weeks now that the number of games should matter. And so um I don't want to. I don't want to speak for him, and I don't want to go so far as to say he just doesn't care. But like he 100% knew exactly what he was doing, and he 100% uh, 
had to have known, yeah, I'm going to give them bulletin board material and then just still be cool with it. Maybe he just thinks that other football coaches are like him. They'll take anything as a slight and blow it up. <laughs> like, you know, he keeps, oh, us little old Clemson. He keeps playing this right. undercard or underdog uh, card all the time. Uh, maybe he just assumes that other coaches will do that too. I don't know if I give him credit that he's like on some different plane of thoughts here. <laughs> like I, these are football right. coaches. Like they're not, right. they're not like the smartest people we have in this country here. They just, they're very well paid gym teachers. They are good at one thing that's, uh, you know, mostly socially irrelevant to our country, but they're very good at it. They're very well paid, but I don't feel like, you know, they're just like, oh, they're just plotting things that we couldn't possibly understand here. I, I think it probably just boils down to that's what he thought. I mean, he's yeah. been very clear about this. Playing six games, he just doesn't he doesn't quite respect it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I here's the thing. I give him credit for putting his money where his mouth is. You know, I think that he, when it came time to, when it came time for him to have an opportunity to really validate and really back up what he's been saying this whole time, he did. You know, he, he did it with his vote. And like you said, he doesn't leave it to an SID. I remember him telling us in 20... 18 that um sometimes he calls in at three in the morning and that he knows that the guy who takes this call probably doesn't love that but he's always said you know if my name is going to be on it then i have a responsibility to do it and a responsibility to try to be informed so i do give him credit i don't know what's gonna what's gonna come of it but you're right i mean i think this is just a product of him saying I'm not sold on the whole six game thing. There's something just ridiculous about these coaches like Davos up at two in the morning, like parsing the differences between Louisiana and Liberty. <laughs> like, oh, who am I going to put in my number 25 spot? I did the poll one, the AP poll one time. It's a lot. And it's a pain in the butt. I mean, it you is wake up such a pain. You wake up on Sunday morning and you're like, I got to write a bunch of stuff from the game I just covered still. I'm tired. I've barely gotten any sleep. I got to get this thing in. And if I make one misstep on it, oh, d- you're going to hear about it from everybody. Everyone. Like, yeah. I think, yeah. What was your fan base that got after uh, you? Mine was Mississippi State. UCF. First mm. of all, I didn't call them UCF first. I called them Central Florida, and they got on me about that. Also, okay. because I, mis- I mistook them as the Golden Knights instead of the Knights. Uh, Got it. They apparently used to be the Golden Knights and dropped that part of it. And this is when the Vegas hockey, <laughs> this is when the Vegas hockey team had just started. So it was kind of in my mind. Uh, okay. And then I just kept disrespecting them. Uh, apparently, mm. but they were they were the ones that were on me the most. Uh, I never made any of those. Uh, you know the. Uh, What's the Gary Parish thing that he does with the basketball team? With the he, oh yeah. Uh, you, yeah yeah yeah, you make that list if you're like uh, an outlier voter on it. I think it's kind of ridiculous because it, it it forces you if you have any independent thought that's different from what everybody else does. Right. Like all of a sudden you're just ostracized for the, having a different opinion, which is the whole point of the poll is to have a bunch of different right. opinions and then average them together. So, uh, you know, each week I published like my thoughts. Like, this is why I I ordered these things. I felt like I had to go out there and defend myself and do that. I think that helped me make smarter picks. That said, sometimes you're just never going to be able to avoid it. Uh, So, yeah, I I sympathize with these coaches. I can't imagine doing the job that they have and and then then having to do this thing on top of that. I'm curious your thoughts. You have seen Notre Dame. uh, You saw them in person this week, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not their best showing. Uh, you obviously were paying very close attention in the first game, uh, Clemson and Notre Dame. Do you think Notre Dame should have been number four? I think that 
Well, I think Notre Dame's going to lose pretty convincingly to Alabama. I think we probably all agree with that. But I think they should have been four. And I don't know that necessarily I am sold on that because of the eye test so much as I am just based on the fact of how do you... I didn't feel like the committee could reconcile punishing a team for competing in their conference championship. Right. Like I felt like with A&M, you know, the one reason, the reason why they have one loss is because they didn't make it to their conference title game. So are you going to punish Notre Dame? And that was kind of what Dabo was saying. Like before the game started, he was saying, why are we um, punishing people who play more games? And why are we rewarding people who play fewer games? So do I think... Notre Dame uh, is this really convincing team at this point? Not necessarily, especially after what we saw Saturday, but I, I think it makes sense. I just don't see how you punish them for playing in their conference game and then especially a team that's never been in a conference before. I don't know. Like, what did you what do you think? Yeah, I think the committee has done a very good job of not being a prisoner of the moment. Mm, and saying that's a good way of the it, last yeah. thing that we saw is the only thing we're going to do about this. I, I've seen this out there. If Texas A&M played on that game and, and lost Alabama by 24, whatever it was, like it did earlier this season, and Notre Dame played Tennessee and blew them out, uh, right. would we all be thinking that otherwise? I think you look at the, the resume stacked next to each other, mm-hmm. and it's clearly Notre Dame. In my yeah. opinion, I think Notre Dame has a, obviously the the better top win, beat Clemson, even if it was right. a depleted Clemson team. Texas A&M's best win was Florida, which, you know, Florida put up a fight against Alabama, so it doesn't look as bad as maybe I thought right. it could have been if that got blown out. But then, you know, I don't know what Texas A&M's next best win was. Auburn, an Auburn team that fired its coach. Right. And then you've got right. Notre Dame shut down a really, really good North Carolina team that's going to be playing in right. the Orange Bowl. So. I think you compare those two things, and then on top of that, you say, well, Notre Dame's one loss is because it had to play in this ACC title game. If Texas A&M right. made the SEC championship game and loses to Alabama like that again, first of all, if the SEC structured its conference like the ACC did without the conferences, that might have been your matchup. Right, sure. So, uh, you know, you could have had that. Uh, so I think they made the right decision. Uh, I kind of am bummed. That those are the only two teams you consider in this when you've got an unbeaten Cincinnati out there. Yeah, the, for sure. And the committee has just never considered them. Uh, I think I think we all know where this is going. I think it's going to be Clemson <laughs> and Alabama part whatever uh, right. in the championship game. Uh, I don't think I'd be disappointed by that. That's the game I want to see. Do we have a playoff problem, though? I mean, it's the same five or six teams we're talking about every single year. Uh, right. Is that good for college football, in your opinion? I don't know. I mean, I think obviously one of the topics when we talk about the playoff is expansion, expansion, expansion. But I'm kind of of the mindset of like, well, we right now we don't even have we can't even get four really, really good teams. Like you said, I think we all know this is heading towards Clemson, Alabama. So I guess in the sense that maybe it would give a, a team like Cincinnati a shot, which I thought deserved. I think that the I, I think the system is stacked against a group of five teams, which I would like to see fixed, but I don't know. I mean, Dabo was saying even this week, like he didn't have a problem with the BCS system. Um, you know, best two teams play at it. So I don't know if we have a problem, but I don't know that it's, uh, I don't, I don't know. If you're not a Clemson fan and you're not an Alabama fan, there's no way that you're just absolutely thrilled about where this is going every single year. Exactly. I, I think here's my thought on this. I, when they first expanded to the four teams, I said, you know what? I don't think they need to go beyond that. 
because they're very rarely past the fourth team. Is there anybody that you consider national championship worthy? Uh, it still values the regular season like that. I have come around and back to my original position before they expanded that I would like <laughs> to see eight teams. Oh, okay. And, All right. And I don't necessarily think that when you expand that, you're expanding that to say, you know, there are eight teams that can win the, the national championship. But I think for the good of the sport, you need to have the inclusivity mm, for the entire country. And the, the way I do it is I go the five conference champions. Okay. Uh, the group of five auto bid, okay, and then two at larges. You'd seed them okay. one to eight. Uh, you know, there's no advantage if you win the conference, you're higher or anything like that. And then you'd have the quarterfinals on campus, uh, and the losers of those games could still go to bowl games. Then you'd have the final four like you normally do. I just think that, you know, right now we're just shrinking the country and the football fans that care about the national title stuff to just like four or five campuses in the country and you know we've completely excluded the west coast the pac-12 is never in this discussion the big 12 only gets oklahoma in and then they lose by 30 every time they get to the playoff (laughs) uh the group of five is never considered right uh i just that to me is the biggest problem yeah i think i just think that you need to give those teams hope going into the season like we have a 64 team basketball tournament and not all those teams are going to win the national title. We know, you know, Coppin State to Northern Iowa and Princeton, these teams are not winning the national title, but it's great to have them there. And they create some That's of, true. You know, even if they don't make the championship, if they pull an upset, it's one of the greatest, most memorable moments in tournament history. So, sure. you know, this year, as you, you know, if you went by the model I just said, you'd have Oregon at number eight playing Alabama number one. And I think we know how that one's going to end up. <laughs> But what if it doesn't? I mean, that's fair. That'd be a game that we will talk about forever. And in this way, it still values the conference championships. Right now, I feel like the conference championships are just like a speed bump on the way to the. the mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can get into the playoff and not even play in your conference championship. I feel like if you right. valued that again, that should be an important thing. I just feel like we're shutting out so much of the the playoff field that it's just it's not good for college football. I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think, like you said, college football could use a little UMBC Virginia magic. You know, it's just so it's become so predictable. And then I also think that it's not I do think the playoff the way we have it now. And I don't know what the solution to this is, but I do think that it has minimized bowl games that used to be awesome because now it's like, well, just playing in a New Year's Six Bowl is uh, it, it's not as cool and it's not as important for these teams anymore because they they know they don't have a shot at the national title. I think part of this is sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy too because only five or six teams make the playoff and then only five or six teams get all of the top recruits the next year. I think, yes. I think as yeah. Ari Wasserman tweeted this, 48 of the top 100 right now are committed to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma. Yep. And I haven't gone back in history, but I feel like that's more than it has been in the past. So these guys right. want to play in the playoff, and these are the teams that make the playoff all the time. Right. Uh, right. I just I cover Virginia Tech, and I'm just looking at Virginia Tech's case, and it's just honestly, it's almost never going to be a playoff team. Ever. It has to have the perfect season. Everything lines up mm-hmm. to be able to get into that playoff field. And even if they win the ACC you have to go undefeated on top of that, probably. They're not going to get the benefit right. of the doubt like Clemson would. If you say you have an automatic bid for winning the ACC, that's a little bit more realistic. 
and you could maybe slip up along the way. And I, you know, you see teams like Oklahoma and uh, you know teams that have a couple losses this year, Georgia that have improved mm-hmm. over time. I think it it adds to a season where if you lose early and get much better by the end of the season, uh, this could be something interesting to come back to. So I, I think it's just. Yeah, I, I think it's something they need to explore because, I mean, I know we're going to go to Clemson, Alabama again. And we might, even with an eight-team field, but the way they get there, everybody just goes, well, we assume this is how the, 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 the outcome is going to go. Well, let's just see it. Let's see it on the field. Let's decide it on the field. I think so much of college football right now is being decided not on the field. And it might get to the same result, but the path to mm-hmm. get there, I think, could be more interesting if they expanded this field. I wanted to ask you, we, you know, the All-ACC voting came out today. Uh, Clemson had 12 players. Notre Dame had 12 players leading mm-hmm. uh, the ACC. Not surprising for the two teams that were at the top there. Uh, you are an all-ACC voter. That is also a pain in the butt to do every year. Oh, uh, it's the worst. I, I thought this year would be easier because, like, oh, everybody sort of played the same schedule, but it was not. It was not easier than it has been in past years. Any snubs for Clemson that you see? I mean, I know they had 12 guys, but, uh, you know, that's a pretty good team they have. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it was Tim Beret, the former Clemson SID, was tweeting about how he thought Miles Murphy was maybe one of the biggest snubs in Clemson history. Um, I think, I don't know, I was a little surprised actually the other way around, which probably isn't going to buy me many points with Clemson fans right now, but I don't know. I just, I haven't been sold on their offensive line all year, and they placed a lot of guys on that. Um, Travis Etienne... I think I put him as my second running back. He was not my first all-purpose guy. Actually, uh, Khalil Herbert was. Um, and I think you were tweeting about that earlier. Like, just look at the numbers. He I don't... leads the country in all-purpose. Le- right. That's one, of the, that's one of those things where I feel like we don't, got, we don't have to overthink this. Just go look at the stats and whoever has the most gets your first place vote, right? Like It does. I'll, I'll say this year, running back was really hard. It was hard. Uh, yes. With the North Carolina guys, I ended up, Herbert. I ended up going Javante Williams, number one. I did, too. Uh, I had Herbert, number two. Uh, okay. I know it says he played in 11 games. He really played in 10. And if you average his stats out over 10, he was leading leading rushing yards per game uh, in the ACC. I had Michael Carter, third, and I had ETN, fourth. And that might, okay. that might be sacrilege to put ETN fourth, but I don't know if he had as good of a season as maybe his reputation was. Now, I know he had uh, a lot of receiving yards, and he obvi- yeah. obviously had a great ACC championship game that I think pushed him up, but I do wonder if some of that vote was on reputation with him getting up there into the first team. Yeah, so I went Williams 1, and then I did Etienne 2, Carter 3, Herbert 4. So I think we just switched our 2 and our 4. And then all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, how bizarre is it that Kyron Williams is kind of an afterthought at this right. point? I don't it know. Running so back stacked. was so hard. Yeah, it was stacked. I thought defensive end was stacked too. Yes, and, it was. And Murphy's a defensive end. He he's under. He's not a tackle. Is that correct? He's an end. Okay, yes. so I think that's maybe why uh, Brzee got a little bit more uh, all ACC love because I, I for sure you know I did not have Amari Barno on there. On I think I had him seventh. Uh, with six defensive ends ahead of him, and Barno mm-hmm. led the ACC in tackles for loss. I didn't have him on there either. Normally, that, right now. normally that's an automatic, you know, tackles right. for loss, you're up there. But it, that that was a loaded position. Running back was a loaded position. I think tight end was a loaded position too. Uh, not fun to do those, but, I, you know, I think when you talk it out like this, uh, mm-hmm. it kind of becomes obvious that, like, you know, this is tough. You can make arguments either way in this whole thing. 
It is tough. And it's, I feel, I don't know if you feel like this, and this might just be a me problem, but I, I get so overwhelmed by all the, because, you know, we get all these emails with all of the um, football media relations staff pitching these people's cases. And so I usually just have to combine it all because otherwise you could sit there and you could sit there and read a case for a hundred different players and look up and have spent, you know, an entire day's worth of work just reading these pitches. Yes. And usually how I do it, I save it to the last second. So I don't have time to read all that stuff. I I do. I want to give a shout out to David Hale at ESPN this year for tweeting out some of those advanced stats that he has uh, access to. For sure. That was very helpful because picking an offensive line on these things is just uh, a nightmare. Like it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Not, not the most fun thing to do. Uh, Before we go here, I did want to talk about this. This comes from our Bruce Feldman at The Athletic. He is as plugged in as any college football writer when it comes to these college coaching searches. Auburn is looking for a football coach, and it is looking and looking and looking, and everybody <laughs> that seems to interview there uh, either turns it down, quote-unquote turns it down, or was just right. not the right fit or whatever it was. This comes from Bruce Feldman uh, right before we started recording this on a Tuesday. So many twists and turns on this Auburn coaching search. Name we heard this morning that some key AU folks are hoping to hire as their new head coach is Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables. Uh, What do you think of that? That is a guy that people have been thinking, hey, this is head coach material for the longest time. Uh, You know, there's a difference between Auburn wants him and he wants to go to Auburn, but uh, his name popping up in this this thing. Your thoughts? I mean, I can't blame Auburn for for wanting to, to target him. I mean, I think he's been, as you said, one of the hottest names on the on the coaching searches for many years. It's just a matter of does he want to be a head coach? And that's, I think, the million-dollar question that we in college football have been asking ourselves every single year. And every single year, I I don't know that I have clarity either way. You know, I could I could make a case for, for both, him being a, a coordinator for his career or him being a head coach. So I don't know, but I, I give Auburn credit because, you know, he's – the, the numbers speak for themselves with him. Well, I've got an update now. This is how fast the news moves. As, oh, my gosh, as we, in the last five as seconds. As we're recording this from Pete Thamel, sources cross Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables off the list at Auburn. He's, oh, my gosh. He's told Clemson officials that he's staying. So as fast as we bring that up, it's just debunked like that. Uh, that's weird. These Clemson coordinators have to become head coaches at some point, right? Like, I know they're well-paid at Clemson, and that's a great place, and they're always playing for championships. But, you know, Tony Elliott, you know, there's a report out there that he was going to uh, uh, interview at, at Auburn, and then he said, no, I'm not. <laughs> he comes out and says that. Uh, Venable's names pops up every year. Uh, you know, I feel like this is part of the reason the Tigers have so much success is they have this retention at these coordinator spots, and they're so important, and they're so consistent from year to year. Uh, if I'm the rest of the college football I want a little bit of that magic. I'm going to try to tap into that and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, chop off a limb of a, a competitor that's out there. Uh, is it as, is it as simple as like Dabo just pays these guys well and they're happy with their situation? Or why can't any, why doesn't anybody consider these guys or, or is able to hire them away? Yeah. All right. So I think just from my purview of the situation, this is just my take on it. But I think, I think they're kind of different situations with Tony. Tony has expressed that he wants to be a head coach when the timing and the fit is right. But I think the thing with Tony that has maybe been the reason why this doesn't happen is because he doesn't really like to interview 
during the season. And so now we have this early signing period. So teams want to hire coaches by December 15th or whatever. And at that point, Clemson's playing for an ACC championship, trying to make a playoff run. He doesn't want to interview in the middle of all of that. And so it's just this cycle, right? Because it's like, well, when is Clemson not going to be in this situation? So that's my read on, on the Tony thing. But I do get the vibe that he wants to be a head coach, and that's something he's expressed. Brent, on the other hand, um, has been very vocal about, um, you know, he has two kids on the Clemson team, and he just kind of likes where he is. And I don't know, he hasn't been as... Um, he hasn't been as clear about maybe wanting to do that in the future as Jeff Scott had been, as Tony has has been. So Brent's case is a little trickier to dissect, but I I do know that he's he likes it at Clemson. He's happy. He gets to you know do his thing as a crazy scientist in the lab, and and no one asks questions. So I I don't I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, but it is it is really an interesting dynamic that like. The two coordinators of the best team in America, or one of them, just come back every year. Yeah, I think Tony Elliott is—he's kind of like all those Belichick assistants, where they're playing in the Super Bowl every year, and then all the other positions get filled <laughs> while the Patriots are preparing <laughs> for the Super Bowl. If that's yeah. his stance, like I'm not going to interview until after the season, like you know, not many places are hiring coaches on January 15th. Like if he truly wants to be a head coach, I think he maybe needs to soften that stance. And you know, you mentioned before we recorded this, he doesn't have a, an agent. Uh, right. Might want right. to get one. <laughs> they right. can handle right. this kind of stuff. I do think that that is, he did say Saturday, because we, we talked about the Auburn situation a little bit after the AC championship game. And he had said, you know, Auburn had not reached out yet, but they might, they might not. Um, but that was one of the things that he had said was he's looking into his options with agents, agency, kind of what he likes there. Um, so I, I do think that part is coming. Well, Grace, let's cut this off before we get any more breaking news that undermines what we previously <laughs> recorded on Gosh. this podcast. So much news happening all the time. It's the silly season in college with coaches. It is. Uh, I don't know what's worse, like having to cover a coaching change with assistance or like the rumors constantly every single year that it's going to happen. And then you sort of have to follow that too. So I don't envy you in that situation uh, covering Clemson for that. I do envy you because you always get to cover interesting football games. You have plenty coming up. Uh, so everybody go follow Grace on Twitter at GM Rayner. Uh, she'll be writing great stuff going into this playoff again. Every every year going into the playoff, these these massive games that you get to go to. I'm jealous here. Uh, you know, I can only dream of like a Belk Bowl or a Duke's Mayo Bowl at this point uh, where they are. But uh, this year it's my first bowlless season since 2003 where I don't have to cover wow. anything. So oh my I'm just, gosh. I'm just what are gonna, you going to do? Like, <laughs> get a beer and hang out? Spend time with family, I guess. It's so strange. What? They're going to be tired of, of having me around. How dare you? Yeah. Well, Grace, we do thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for giving us your insight, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, thank you to Grace for coming back on the show. Always enjoy her insight on Clemson. She knows that school better than anybody out there. Always interesting to hear her perspective on things. But we want to get to the rest of the ACC, too. Uh, there are other teams playing in bowl games here. And yes, I'm going to include Notre Dame in that. We'll start off with the big one, the national semifinal. Uh, number one, Alabama playing Notre Dame. Uh, Alabama is 19 and a half point favorites in this game. The not Rose Bowl. This is the Rose Bowl that they moved uh, to Dallas. I don't think contractually they can call it the Rose Bowl. So I don't know exactly what we're calling this thing. I looked up 
Poison, the Wikipedia for the rock band Poison and the song Every Rose Has Its Thorn. And apparently that was written in a Dallas laundromat by Brett Michaels. I think this should be the Every Rose Has Its Thorn Bowl. We should go with that uh, for marketing purposes. They'd have great musical selection for in the, the bumper music in and out of stuff. So I think they should do that. Uh, this game maybe won't be as interesting as that explanation for how they should name the bowl game. Uh, you know, the reward for sneaking into the playoff here for the Irish is to probably get waxed by Alabama. I, I, on, to be fair to the Irish, I think this is going to happen to any number four seed that they put in there. I mean, it's already happened to Texas A&M against Alabama this year. Uh, as much as I would have liked to see Cincinnati in this spot, I feel like Alabama would run them off the field. I just don't know how you stop Alabama. Uh, Mac Jones at quarterback, Najee Harris at running back, Devontae Smith at receiver. All these guys got Heisman consideration uh, when I was putting together my ballot. I just, uh, it's a pick your poison type deal with this offense, which is unusual with Alabama. Usually you think of Alabama, you think of defense, but this year's team is just so good. And history doesn't, it's not really kind to Notre Dame in these games. They have struggled on the big stage. It won its one game earlier this year against Clemson. That was a depleted Clemson team, as we talked about earlier. Uh, maybe not quite hitting on all cylinders like you would expect with the, the backup quarterback. A very good backup quarterback, but still a backup quarterback in that game and missing some pieces on defense. You look at these national semifinal uh, and, and championship type games that Notre Dame has played in over the years. 2018 lost to Clemson 30-3 to in a semifinal. Uh, 2012 BCS title game lost to Alabama 42 to 14. So uh, there is some question about the Irish on a big stage like this. And I just, I do not like their chances in this game against Alabama because I think the Crimson Tide are just a machine at this point. I don't think that Texas A&M would have done any better, uh, but this is just a matchup that is going to be really, really tough for Notre Dame. Orange Bowl, Texas A&M against UNC. Uh, Texas A&M is a seven-point favorite in this game. And I saw that, and I go, I don't know about that. And I, I saw the news for the Tar Heels on this one. It will be missing. The Tar Heels will be missing their leading tackler, Chaz Surratt, leading rusher, Michael Carter, and leading receiver, Diami Brown. Uh, that is a lot to be missing going into this uh, New Year's Six game. Uh, Mac Brown has this, this program humming right now, and everybody's excited about this, and they get to this huge stage for North Carolina, and then they're missing three of their best players going into this. Uh, I think that the Tar Heels will be okay without Carter and Brown. I, I think you have Javante Williams, who is an awesome back. I had him as my number one guy in my all-ACC voting. Uh, they're pretty deep at receiver. I mean, you lose a guy like Brown, that's going to hurt you a little bit there, but I think they'll get by in that sense. Chas Surratt is a different story. That is the sort of the heart of this defense, and I don't know if you want to go into this game missing a guy like that uh, with the replacements they have, just not quite up to that level. Uh, I am interested to see what Texas A&M team shows up in this one. Is this a team that's going to be disappointed by being snubbed? Uh, in the playoff field at number four? Is this going to be a team that's going to be motivated to show that they should have been in it? And it's tough to tell how that goes either way. The Aggies are number four in rushing defense in the country, about 92 yards per game. I think that's what you need when you go up against a team like the Tar Heels. You saw what a team like Notre Dame could do when they, they shut down that running game and kind of took UNC's offense out of its comfort zone there. I can understand this this number, uh, Texas A&M, by seven, and seven points here. I still question how good Texas A&M is. And I look at the teams they beat. Florida, obviously, a great win. Auburn, probably the next best win. 
and it gets a little dicey after that. <laughs> they have a whole bunch of teams that they uh, just played really well against. I know they blew out Tennessee in the last game, but you know Tennessee was kind of a mess at that point. So uh, seven-point line, I don't know if I would uh, go with the Aggies on that one, especially with Sam Howell on the other team. You, you worry about even if they're down, UNC they could come back and score a late touchdown because that offense is so good. Uh, I'd probably take the Tar Heels with the points there. Cheez-It Bowl. Oklahoma State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite on Miami. I should mention that all five of these other teams, these non-Clemson teams in the ACC, are underdogs in the bowl game. Not exactly speaking too well for the ACC, the also-rans of the ACC, but that's the reality that we're in here. Miami coming off a 62-26 to loss in its last game against North Carolina. I think the Canes would love to get that taste out of their mouth in this one. Uh, I just don't know. Miami in bowl games is not a team you want to be on the side of. Miami has lost nine of its last 10 bowl games. The exception being the Russell Athletic Bowl in 2016 against West Virginia. You know, a couple blowouts in their last couple uh, bowl games as well. They lost 35-3 to against Wisconsin in the Pinstripe Bowl a couple years ago. 14 to nothing last year, famously in the, uh, against Louisiana Tech in the Independence Bowl that really spurred on the offensive changes that Manny Diaz made to this team. Uh, Miami just seems like a team that when it checks out in the postseason, it checks out <laughs> at the end of the year. Uh, you look at the couple of opt-outs they have as well. Jalen Phillips, Quincy Roche, uh, defensive ends. Those are two big guys to be losing on the, that defensive line. Uh, Chuba Hubbard for his, has opted out for o- Oklahoma State too. I think this is going to be something we're going to have to look at in every single one of these bowl games, especially this year, is, is all the key players that are out in this one. Uh, I would probably lean towards Oklahoma State in this one. Uh, Mike Gundy, 7-3 and three in his last 10 bowl games. They usually get up for these type of games. Uh, and I have some real questions about the Hurricanes. Uh, after how they played against the Tar Heels. I know that was an outstanding offense, one of the best offenses in the country, but there's still uh, a pride or something like that that you have to consider when you're getting running over like that. And I think uh, I'm curious how Miami bounces back from that. Gator Bowl, NC State against Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky, a two-and-a-half point favorite in this one. A surprising eight-and-three year for the, the Wolfpack there, and they have to feel pretty good about playing in this game. Whereas I look at Kentucky... Uh, just fired its offensive coordinator, Eddie, Eddie Grand, and its co-offensive coordinator, D- Darren Hinshaw. Uh, they've already hired Liam Cohen from the Rams. He's not there yet. He will not join them until the end of the Rams season. Uh, the Wildcats were 4-6 and six this year, and these are the teams they beat. Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. That's two teams that fired their coaches and one that still might. Uh, those teams had a combined eight wins all year, so... I don't know if Kentucky's necessarily coming into this game uh, as all that good of a team. And I think NC State is pretty good. You know, I've, I've you know, sort of hit them a little bit on the strength of schedule. And, they, you know, they avoided the top teams in the ACC and they lost to the other teams near the top that they did play. But eight and three is still pretty good. Uh, pretty good season like that. I look at just how they are feeling going to this game, and I feel like NC State will be very excited to play in this game, and I'm guessing Kentucky maybe not quite as good there. Kentucky Kentucky can run it, and NC State is not exactly great at stopping the run, but yeah, I still kind of like the Wolfpack in this one. Last game that we're talking about here, Wake Forest against Wisconsin in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Wisconsin's a six-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. I don't know how you judge either of these teams. Uh, Wake Forest is 4-4 four and four this year. They played the fewest games in the ACC because of cancellations. Uh, their last two times out, they lost to UNC in that shootout. They lost to Louisville pretty handily 
uh, their last time out uh, last week. Uh, you look at their schedule. They have not won a game since October 31st at Syracuse. Uh, by the time they play in this bowl game, it will be six and a half weeks, and they've had one game in that time. Uh, it's, it's just an impossible team to try to figure out there. Kenneth Walker, uh, the third running back, has opted out. Boogie Basham has opted out as well. Uh, it, it's just going to be a very tough team to try to peg and figure out how they're going to play. And the same is true with Wisconsin. That's a 3-3 three and three team that looked great early, and, and Graham Mertz was going to be the truth, uh, the future Badgers quarterback. Uh, and then they lost games to Northwestern, uh, Indiana, and Iowa, where they didn't reach double digits in any of those games. Beat Minnesota to finish the year 20-17. and 17. Uh, I, I don't know who to trust in this game or who do, to think would show up in this game the most. I kind of like Wake Forest in this just because it's closer to home, and I think it's an easier trip. Uh, that might factor into some of this stuff. Just the stress of, of traveling uh, this year might be greater than in past years. That's going to do it for this show. That's another one in the books. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Thanks to Grace for joining us and, and giving her great perspective on everything with Clemson. Uh, go rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. That could be your Christmas present to us, <laughs> The Athletic. We love those rates and reviews. We especially love the five-star ones. That helps us get the word out to everybody out there. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, please go subscribe. We have a great deal right now. Uh, you buy one, you get one. So if you're looking to get somebody on your, your Christmas list and cross them off, but you also want to get something for yourself, uh, this is a good way to do it. You know, buy yourself something, give a great gift to somebody else. Uh, it's, a, it's a full year to the best sports coverage on the planet. It's every sport, every writer, every team that's out there. It's not just college football. You get everything you want. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. Check out the deal we have there. Follow me on Twitter at andybittervt. Uh, I'll try to continue tweeting through this bowl season. Uh, just random thoughts. I'll be sitting at home. I don't have a bowl to cover this year. So, you know, maybe I'll be more inclined to get some thoughts on Twitter along the way. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again next week. Preview a little bit more of these semifinals and, and this run that Clemson probably is going to go on. It should be an interesting ride to the finish. Mm-hmm.